Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. What does it mean to repent? When the Bible talks about repentance, what is that? Why do we ask forgiveness for sins? These questions and more we'll answer today on today's Wake Up Call. Good morning. This is your Wake Up Call. Wake Up Call 064, The Sacrifices of God. I'm so thankful that you're listening to today's episode on the Faith for My Generation podcast. I'm your host, AJ. I want to go straight to Psalms chapter 51, wasting no time. We're going to get right into the meat of today's episode. We're going to talk about the sacrifices of God. And in doing so, we're going to answer a couple questions. What does it mean to repent? Why do we ask for forgiveness of sins? Why is that necessary? What does the Bible say about that? Because at the end of the day, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we want to do things because God told us to do them. Not just because we think they're a good idea or, you know, well, maybe this will work or maybe it won't. We want to do things because God has given us instruction in how to live our lives from His Word and by the Holy Spirit. So with that being said, I want to read Psalms 51, and then we're going to break it down and, and talk our way through it and study our way through it, as we usually do. Psalms, or excuse me, Psalm, not Psalms, <laughs> little pro tip there, it is a Psalm in a book of Psalms. Anyway, I digress already. Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sin, sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. 
then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Psalm 51. Give you a context of this psalm. This psalm was written by David, the chief psalmist, one of the greatest, I would say, for sure. And um, David wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, as is all the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that all the Word of God is inspired by God. And so this psalm is no different. And he wrote this after he had committed a great and horrible sin. King David, a mighty man of God in the book of Acts, tells us a man after God's own heart. In fact, we see that in 1 Samuel as well, that God sent Samuel, the prophet, to anoint a new king after Saul, who, whose heart was originally toward God, had turned from God, a backslidden king, and he was going to be replaced. So Samuel goes to look for another king, and God tells Samuel, I already have a man who has a heart like mine, and that's who I want you to go get. David had a shepherd's heart. In fact, he was a shepherd of sheep, found, in, found faithful in the pasture, and he became a shepherd of Israel. First Chronicles, I believe it's First Chronicles 17 shows us that, that God said, I took you out of the sheepfold. I took you out of the pasture shepherding sheep, and now you shepherd Israel. Well, King David, a mighty man of God, some years go by. I don't know, maybe his heart grew a little callous. I don't know. I don't know how this happens. I, I can say in my life there's been times where Satan has tempted me and I've fallen for the temptation. I hate to say that out loud, but I would be lying if I, say, if I said that it didn't. I'm sure you've experienced that as well. Temptation comes along, and we take the bait. Now, here's the thing about temptation, because again, some some people may make light of temptation or even make very light of sin. And in fact, unfortunately, there's a great deception in the earth today that makes it sound like sin's just no big deal. You can't read Psalm 51 and a whole lot of uh, the Bible and and see that and come away with the conclusion: Well, God doesn't really care about sin. It's impossible. Here's the thing about temptation, though. Temptation is the seed of sin. Uh, temptation, if it is not dealt with, it will produce sin in one's life. Um, in King David's example, and, and in Psalm 51, this comes after David repents. David repents because he committed two atrocious sins, terrible sins. First off, David stayed back when the rest of the armies went out to go fight the wars of Israel for a season. There was a time after he'd become king, he'd fought many, many, many battles, won many victories for Israel, was a mighty man of valor, had 600 mighty men with him that he'd taken from the point where they were uh, destitute, depressed, and broken, and then they all became great mighty men of war and warriors and conquerors. But now he's in the throne, he's in the palace, life's good. And one day, when the season rolls around, kings would actually wait until springtime to do war because it just was too cold. In that day and age, it was just the elements were too much. In fact, still today, many soldiers suffer more from the elements than they do the actual battle. 
And so it was no different then, but a lot less convenience that we have today. So they would wait till springtime to go to war. And at that time, they went out and David stayed behind. So David wasn't where he was supposed to be. David should have went out with his armies as king and commander. Instead, he stayed back. First step of Satan, when he wants to tempt you, he wants to get you isolated. He wants to get you alone. He wants to isolate you and then start working on you. David was by himself. He wasn't about doing something. You know, he, he was idle. I, this isn't scripture, but my grandfather would quote it to me all the time. He would, he would ask me, AJ, are you doing what you're doing? And if I said, ah, I'm not doing anything, Papa, he'd say, well, you need to do something. Because an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Again, that's not scripture. It's good advice, but it's not scripture. <laughs> but he would tell me that all the time. What you doing? I'm not doing anything. We well, need to do something. Because an idle mind is a devil's workshop. But there's a lot of truth there. If you don't feel the void of thinking, good thoughts, uh, bad thoughts will happily come in and fill that void for you. And, and so here's the thing. Sin, uh, verse 14 of James chapter 1 James chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So notice that, temptation does not come from God. So when you see in Scripture where it says that God tests or gives a test to someone, it is a test of obedience, never a test of temptation. God doesn't send temptation. In order for God to send temptation, he himself would have to be evil, and there is no evil in him. Verse 14 of James 1, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So we see here in James chapter 1, desire, lust, desire, temptation, when it's conceived, when it's acted upon, it produces sin. It's at that point sin comes about. So I know this, if you can resist temptation, you will not sin. Let me say that again. If you can successfully resist temptation... You will not sin. Well, that's impossible. It's impossible to do that. Okay, let's see what the Bible says about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. In other words, you, me, anybody, every single person on the planet, we have been tempted with temptations that are completely common to every other person. You have never been tempted with something from Satan that he didn't try on somebody else. Just haven't. But God is faithful. Continuing reading 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So we see here that temptation is sin in seed form. Temptation is, is sin in seed form. So temptation is not sin. But when temptation comes, if you fail to resist it, 
you act on the temptation, you fall for the the scheme of Satan and fall for that temptation, at that point that you actually do what you're tempted to do, sin takes place in your life. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that there is no temptation that comes to us that we can't overcome. There's no temptation that's beyond our ability to overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. With David, the very first thing he could have done to have overcome this temptation, which we haven't spoke about it yet, but some of you may know the story, he could have been where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. Instead of staying back at the palace, he could have went off to war with the armies of Israel. Now, what actually happens, in case that you haven't read this before? Well, David stays behind. He's not with his army. He stays behind at the palace. And one day he walks out in the palace. He's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And lo and behold, he sees an extremely beautiful woman showering nor bathing on top of the roof. Uh, Many of the Middle Eastern buildings, uh, they would have lots of things on top of the roof because many of the roofs were flat. So it wasn't an uncommon thing to bathe there. But just so happens, right time, right, right time, wrong place, David sees this woman named Bathsheba who is bathing on top of her home. David immediately calls for her. Some servants go and get her. The king wants to see you. She comes. They commit adultery because Bathsheba is married. Now, what's extremely bad about this is She's not just married to any old Joe. She's married to a man named Uriah. And who is Uriah? Uriah is one of David's closest confidants, one of his mighty men of valor, one of his mighty, mighty men that's been with him through thick and thin, who's carried sword and shield in honor of his king, King David. Well, Bathsheba becomes pregnant from that adulterous act of sin and in an attempt to cover it up David says well I'll just have Uriah come back home come back home from the heat of battle celebrate him send him home to his wife and husband and wife and they'll do what husband and wife do and then in a few months when she has this baby Uriah will think it's his well the problem is Uriah was a man of honor a man of character. He comes home. King David throws this big party for him. All as just a setup. Just just as a setup in hopes that he'll go home. And he'll intimately know his wife so that David can cover up his sin. Uriah won't go home. In fact, he sleeps on the steps of the palace. Of the king's house. He won't go home. David said, why didn't you go home and see your wife? He said, how can I go see my wife when my brothers in arm, brother, brothers in arms are out in tents? They don't get to see their wives. Why should I get to see mine? Well, he tries it again. Yeah, pour on, you know, keep keep pouring on the drink. Let's really get Uriah out there and we'll send him on home. He still won't do it. Stays back. So Uriah goes back to battle and he sends a message to Joab king of the armies. He tells him, Joab, put Uriah in the thick of the hottest, harshest part of the battle. And when things get really, really rough, pull everybody back and let Uriah get stuck out in the front lines and struck down dead. 
and let me know when it's done. Joab did. Uriah's fighting. Sword and shield, side by side. The call is made. The battle's getting real rough. The enemies of Israel coming in real hot. Uriah's struck down dead. David thinks, okay, all right, Uriah's dead. We've got that settled. Now I will marry Bathsheba since she is no longer married. She is now widowed. I will marry her. Well, it looks real good outward, outwardly. Oh, the beloved king. He's marrying, he's taking in the wife of one of his mighty men who have been slain in battle. Now he's going to care for his wife. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And, you know, it seems like everything's okay. Everything's hunky-dory. We've done it. Bathsheba's now my wife. And, you know, Uriah, he's dead and gone. Everything's a-okay. Problem. God sees everything. The prophet Nathan comes to speak to King David, and he tells him a story. He tells King David a story. He says, there was a man, a family, that had a precious little lamb. They had no other sheep, but they had a precious little lamb, and they cared for this lamb from the time it was born, and they nurtured this lamb, and this lamb grew. And one day, a rich man who had a large pasture full of sheep came by, and this king took this lamb from this family that had grown up in their hands and been bottle-fed, if you will, and took that sheep for himself and slaughtered it. And David was so outraged. He said, who could possibly do this? This is so terrible. Why would this man do this? This man that done this needs to have, needs to be, you know, judged. He's wrong. And Nathan says, you're that man, King David. You're the man. Uriah had but his wife Bathsheba, and you took her from him, and then you struck him down dead. And David realizes the game's over. Trying to cover up his sin, didn't win. And, and that's the thing. You, you, you can never cover up your sin. You can never successfully cover your sin. You might be able to think that you can hide it, uh, but you can't. You can't do it. Sin will always be found out. Sin will always be exposed. Um, whether it's right now in a moment time or a few weeks or a little bit of time goes by, years go by, sin will always be uncovered. In fact, Proverbs 17 Proverbs 17:9. Oh, excuse me, it's wrong proverb. <laughs> proverb twenty-eight thirteen. I th- I thought that was it. Eh. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If you're if you try to hide sin, you will always fail. You got to come clean. And Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper. In the act of trying to cover sin, you won't be profitable in doing that. But whoever confesses comes clean. 
I did the wrong. Forgive me. This is what I did, and it's wrong. Anne forsakes them. I'm not going to do it again. I pro- I'm not going to do it again. By the grace of God, I ask, I don't want to do it again. We'll have mercy. This is what we see a couple things taking place here in Psalms 51. So why do we ask for forgiveness? Well, one, because forgiveness is part of repentance. So what is repentance? Repentance means to make a change. It literally means to make a 180-degree turn. So if you're going north and you make a 180-degree turn, you're now going south, the opposite direction. That's what repentance means. It means to stop doing the wrong and now do the right. Notice what David said as we read in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. The first thing that David does is he says, Lord, be merciful to me. Forgive me because you are merciful. I'm coming to you and I'm coming clean with my sin that I thought I could hide, but the prophet Nathan has revealed that I can't hide this sin. In Proverbs 28, 13, which had not been penned at this point in David's life, but we have the blessing and privilege of having the completed word of God given to us. We know that what Satan, or what David was trying to do was just another temptation of Satan. Keep covering it up, covering it up. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And you don't prosper. You don't profit from it. It fails. But when you confess and forsake, then you'll have mercy. This is why we repent of sin. This is why we make a 180-degree turn. This is why we come clean with sin. Because at the moment we do, then we get mercy. There's no mercy for the unrepentant sinner. There's no mercy for the unrepentant Christian. Sin is sin, whether it's sinner or, or Christian. There's this idea that this, this is, it's a doctrine of devil. But this idea that just because I'm saved and I've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am a Christian, that somehow sin is less sin than it actually was before I was saved and dead in sin. Sin is sin. Sin, God hates sin. God has nothing to do with sin. God is pure, He is holy, and He will not entertain sin, whether a Christian commits sin or a sinner commits sin. Think about David. David, by the mouth of God, was declared a man after God's own heart. Yet, when he sinned, he too had to repent of it. If you commit sin, you must repent. Whether sinner or saint, you must be clean. And here's the good news. God will forgive you because he's merciful, because he's loving because he's kind. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We have to be washed clean. Sin is a, it stains you. Isaiah 1.18 gives us a very vivid uh, illustration of being cleansed from, from sin, but the first chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 1, verse 18 Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, bright, bold red, easily seen, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. There's a cleansing that takes place only in Jesus, only in the Lord. And that cleansing is only accessed, received, At the point of repentance, at the point of repenting, at the point of confessing, 
Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. I did the wrong and I shouldn't have done it. I repent. At that point, that's when cleansing comes in. Verse 3, notice this, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Repentance means you finally fess up. You confess. You acknowledge, I did the wrong. You know, when people are deceived and when people don't want to come clean, they will tell you 973 reasons why they did what they did. Me, you, anybody, I say people. I've done it. If you're, let me just be real honest with you. I heard someone share this and it's really true. And, and I don't remember who it is to give credit to. But I remember hearing someone mention this. If you're still giving me reasons for why you did what you did, you're not truly sorry. And he was actually talking about matters of business. Oh, it was Dr. Miles Monroe. That's exactly who it was. It was, it was Pastor Dr. Miles Monroe. He made the point, he said when he was in Bible school, he was in charge over managing, uh, he was working at a Bible school, and he was in charge of managing funds for like a missionary, missions project or something like that. And it wasn't something he directly did, but somehow something happened and the funds were not appropriately allocated or something like that. And so then he goes to tell his boss, and then he begins to rehearse like four reasons why it happened and how it really wasn't his fault, even though he's taking the blame for it. And his boss told him, he said, look, you need to quit this. You need to go ahead and break this habit since you're a young man. When you've done something wrong, just ask for forgiveness and go forward. But don't ask for forgiveness and then try to defend the wrong you did with 73 different reasons why you did it. No, acknowledge it. Verse 3 of Psalm 51, I acknowledge my transgressions. And why is that? Because his sin's always before him. You know that when you're trying to hide sin, uh, no one, you know, you know it. You're con it's constantly nagging on you. The conviction of the Holy Spirit's making it, making you constantly aware of what needs to be cleansed out of your life. Now, this is a powerful thing right here. Psalm 51.4, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David's making this point here. He's saying, Lord, it's you alone that I've sinned against. Now, you might think, well, now, wait a minute. David sinned against Bathsheba when he committed adultery with her. David sinned against Uriah when he committed adultery with his wife and then murdered him. And David committed sin against himself because he carried himself in a way that was dishonoring to God. David committed sin against his nation because that's not how a king is to carry himself. You think, well, David didn't just sin against God. But the reality is, all sin at the root of all sin is this very simple fact. When you do the wrong, you're disobedient to the Lord. Maybe your disobedience impacts, and it always does, someone else. Maybe, you know, if you lie to someone, you have sinned against that person. But at the root of that lie is the fact that you've sinned against God because God said, do not lie. And so you have to get to that point. Sin is always against God. You might think, well, no, it's against my neighbor or my friend or my spouse or my coworker. If you've sinned, and sin in general is against the Lord because he's against sin. Now notice this, Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. 
This shows us what we understand to be doctrinally called original sin. This is why we understand that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were born into sin. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were sons. Let me read it. Ephesians 2 verse 1. Or, uh, yeah, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind were by nature, were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You and I, when we before we believed on Jesus, we were dead in sins and we had a nature of sin because our father Adam sinned and sin entered into the earth and into our nature as a people and every single person is born with a sin nature. And so that's why no one had to teach you how to sin. I was actually teaching this in uh, in my in my boys' Bible study class on Wednesday nights. I got third, fourth, and fifth graders, and I asked them by show of hands. I said, "Raise your hand if you've ever lied." We all raised our hands. Then I asked them, "All right, raise your hand if someone had to teach you how to lie." No one raised their hand. So everyone said, "Yep, I have lied." But then everyone said, "Nope." No one ever had to teach me how to lie. Okay, how do I know how to lie if no one ever taught me how to lie? <laughs> how do I know how to sin, whatever sin it may be? How do I know how to do it if no one ever taught me how to do it? Oh, it comes natural. It comes natural. No one has to teach you how to be prideful. No one has to teach you how to be disobedient. No one has to teach you how to be arrogant. No one has to teach you how to be mean or say mean things. No, those things happen. <laughs> those things happen naturally. They happen naturally because you didn't have to learn them. We were born with them. This is why everyone must be born again. That's why you have to be born again. Now, notice this. Verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. What God really, really, really wants, what the Lord wants is truth on the inside. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a plant that was used beginning in the book of Exodus in order to apply water or blood of a sacrificial animal for a cleansing ritual of worship. The first time we see the hyssop branch used, it's in Exodus chapter 12 when God tells them to put blood on the mantle, on the doorpost so that the death angel can pass by. Use a hyssop plant to do that. Well, this right here is prophetically speaking of how the blood of Christ will be applied to our hearts because hyssop plants always apply blood. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be made whiter than snow. Now notice verse, verse 10. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. This is what takes place when we repent. Made new, made clean, restored, renewed. Our joy comes back because God's generous 
God's good. He's kind. He's merciful. Then what happens? What's the next step after repentance? Go show someone else how to live clean and live holy. Psalms 51, 30, 13. Then, well, when? After I've repented, after I've been restored, after I've been renewed, after I've been washed clean. Verse 13, then I'll teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. You know what? What Satan meant for evil, God can turn it for good. Yeah, guess what? Welcome to every story and example of every Christian. We've all sinned. We all have things in our past we're ashamed of. But you don't let those things in the past imprison you and chain you something for the Lord in the future, or rather right now. Sure, you did the wrong in the past, but use those experiences and now being made right with God Go forth and teach someone else how to not make the same wrong decision you made. Teach someone else how to not fall into transgression like you did. You know what? And, and I think this is so awesome when I see this. When people come freed up out of addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornographic addiction, or people come up out of like, um, you know, pornographic industry. Or, or men and women that are in, um, I guess they call now sex work and all that, and just abusing people and, and whatnot. A lot of people that come out of that, when they get saved, they one of, the, one of the things they do after they get saved is they usually end up going right back to that group and community of people that they were around and begin to win them to Christ. Because what you repent of, it no longer has control over you. I'm going to say that again because that's powerful. What you repent of no longer has control over you. But as long as you try to keep a sin secret, it's got a hold of you. It's got a chain around your neck and it's jerking that chain. But when you repent and you come clean, that sin no longer has a hold over you. In fact, the same power that frees you from that sin, you can then go take that power and free someone else from it by the way of preaching of the gospel. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. Others benefit from our repentance. See, repenting, asking for forgiveness is not just for your benefit, it's for the benefit of others as well. And lastly, I want you to see this, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. What does God want? He doesn't want the blood of bulls and goats. He doesn't want sacrifices or outward show. What he desires is a heart and a life that is broken and contrite. A heart and a life that has been broken in pieces, if you will, has been laid out as a sacrifice to him. He doesn't want you to break things for him or break the bodies of animals and spill the blood of animals. He wants your heart to be laid open for him. What he desires is a heart that is truly repent, repentant, a truly a heart truly desiring forgiveness. And that's the heart, that's the person that shall be forgiven and cleansed by the mighty, mighty hand of God. Oh, I'm thankful that God forgives us. I'm so thankful for forgiveness. I'm so thankful that we have the privilege to repent. And I want to end with this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? So, hey, take an inventory. Take an inventory, a spiritual inventory. If there's something in your heart, in your life, the Holy Spirit's been working on you, and you need to come clean, just come clean. It's such a, it's so wonderful. The weight of the world comes off your shoulders. Just repent. Just confess, acknowledge it, and experience the mercy of God, the cleansing power of God, renewal in your spirit, and restoration of the joy of your salvation. I am so thankful that you joined me today for the Faith for My Generation podcast. Hey, I really, really am thankful for you. I pray that your walk with the Lord grows stronger every single week. If you've not subscribed, wherever you're listening, whatever platform, if it's audio podcast, make sure you're following or subscribing. If you could leave a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, make sure you smash the like button and the subscribe button. We're on a march to 1,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. So close, I can taste it. Hey, if you're watching on Facebook, hit that share button and share this with someone, either via Messenger or share it to your feed. I'm really thankful for you. I know this, that you and I, members of the faithful, that we will always be in a place to keep our hearts and our lives clean before the Lord because we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. God bless you.